Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ, culture, and the church. Hey, uh, my name is Aaron Mansfield, and today I'm joined on the podcast with our co-host, Stephen Vaughn. Hello, hello, hello. And Morgan McClure. Hey, guys. It is so good to be with y'all as we are continuing our series talking about what is the church, and today we're going to be spending some time talking about the Lord's table. So we hope you stick around for the whole episode today. Man, guys, I hope you all have had a great week. How's your week been, Morgan? Yeah, it's really good. It's been a good week so far. It's only Tuesday, so uh, we'll it, see how the rest <laughs> of it goes. <laughs> That's good. Stephen, how have you been this last week? You know, I have been good. I'm a little tired. We did a little traveling. We were at a conference. Um, no, we're away the, the weekend. weekend yeah. yeah, and then we got back, and then it's just been kind of rolling right <laughs> 100 right. miles an hour so we're trying to get through trunk or treat on wednesday because yes. and we by the way we are which that'll be an to that. awesome outreach on, really on wednesday night um, in our community we have the opportunity this year to do a drive-through trunk or treat with all the guidelines and stuff um we have moved to a drive-through excuse me not drive in drive through trunk or treat but it will be really exciting because we'll actually be able to see our community they'll be able to see us and um It'll be really good. I'm really looking forward to it. So when I say get through, I don't mean get through it like as in I'm not looking forward to it. I am really looking forward to it. But as far as like get through to Friday and kind of have like a slow down, yeah, Yeah, kind of slow down a little bit. And so, but everything's good right now. Are you, are you willing to share what you're decorating your trunk as? Um, I'm not because... (gasps) We are still undecided. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Do you know? Do you know? Oh, yeah, I'm thrilled. My, my wife and I are doing a zoo. And so <gasps> oh we're gosh. turning the back of our truck into like a zoo. And we're going to be zookeepers. And our little daughter, who's two and a half months, she has like a giraffe costume. And uh, we're going to take our dog, Zeke. He's a little blonde cockapoo. We're going to put him in the back of the truck. He has a lion's mane. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, are you gonna we've got a, a bunch of like stuffed animals. No, I, I, I told my wife it'd be great to bring the cat, too. But she was not a big fan of that. She's not already a fan of Zeke Cummins. So, oh, I think know, that would be amazing. Yeah, we're we're real excited, and then my sister's coming in. She's gonna be a llama, and so <laughs> it's just, we're gonna have the whole the whole zoo. So, oh my gosh, uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Well, listen, why don't we kind of shift gears here and uh, talk about uh, what we're kind of continuing. You know, this season, we've been asking the question, what is the church? And as we've asked that, we've we've kind of been bringing in a whole different elements of, of things that sometimes are forgot as we think about that question. You know, we sometimes, like you were saying, Stephen, often in the beginning stages, we think about the church simply as a building rather than who is the church and what does the church do. And one of the things I, I see uh, very clearly in Scripture is uh, – the ordinances of the church. And so last week we talked about baptism. This week we're talking about the Lord's table. And, you know, before we kind of launch into talking about the Lord's table, what is your guys' background about that, like growing up? Like as, as you think about, you know, the Lord's table or communion or however, you know, like how frequent did you participate in that growing up? I mean, what was your church backgrounds like? Yeah, well, I've pretty much grown up in in the same church my whole life. Um, And so for us, it was, I believe it was every, it was either every first or every fourth Sunday that we would do um, communion and we called it the Lord's Supper. Um, But it was once a month and um, I was taught, you know, that it's for believers. So if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, then you can participate in the Lord's Supper. Um, And yeah, it was a pretty, it was regular and it was something that, I 
you know, I just knew it happened. So I was like, okay, cool. It's just that thing we do. Steven, what about you? Yeah, so I kind of had a front row seat to different types of because yeah, you grew up <laughs> communion. as an evangelist kid, yeah, right? So, so you all were traveling the country. I saw different versions. Generally, they would not have Lord's Supper on days that you had a special meeting. Generally, those things were separate, but you still got to talk to people. And then even the church that I grew up in um, while I was in high school, they kind of, it was more, they called it communion. Uh, it was something that you just needed to be saved. And I, I can't remember if it was saved and baptized for, but I remember for sure it was like, you need to be saved. You don't have to be a member of this church, you know, and um, you can partake in that. And he, he, I don't remember how often it was. So that shows you that it wasn't often <laughs> enough if I don't remember how often it was. I think it was every um I it think was it was infrequent. I think it was once you. every other month, if I remember correctly. Um, but it was often enough that it was like a thing. And they did do a good job of that. Uh, but then I also went away to college. And then while I was in college, the church that I went to while I was in school, they um, actually believed more that the Lord's Supper, uh, they called it the Lord's Supper. And they believed that it was something for uh, the members of that local church to partake in together. And so okay. you need to be saved, baptized, and a member of that church. Mm. So I never moved my membership while I was in school. Okay. And thus I never participated in the Lord's Supper for like a couple of years because of that. Oh, um, okay. And it was not necessarily they were trying to do that to like be like jerks about it. It was just they believed that based on what the Lord's Supper is, and we'll get more into it, but that it was uh, the church's uh, way of church discipline, of exercising church discipline on their membership, and thus they did not want to confuse the line between non-member and member. So that was kind of different from what I grew up with. that was in college. In high school, yeah. Yeah, That was the church I attended in high school, uh, or while I was in college, and it was different from the one I attended in high school. And so that kind of opened my eyes to there's more than one way of doing things, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and like I I did go to a different church while I was in college, because Lynchburg is an hour and a half from here. And um, the church that I went to there was non-denominational. And so it did have a a different aspect of like the Lord's Supper, whereas here at the church that I grew up in, we were served by the deacons. But at this church and while I was at college, you would go up to the table yourself and then like all the communion elements were there. You'd take your little cracker, you'd dip it in the juice and then go back in. Would you dip it or was it served to you by an elder? I'm just wondering. Or, or I, I, don't, pastor, I can't remember if somebody like had the cup in their hand or okay. like, but it was like we I'm did. Just curious. Huh. Yeah, different places yeah. But, have different. But ways I'd say of for both things. of y'all, I mean, you would say your experience of the Lord's table growing up was more infrequent than frequent. I mean, I think for me that was definitely the case. I I mean, I remember I grew up in a church that hardly ever it seemed Mm -hmm. observed the table i mean i can maybe remember three or four times i mean it seemed like it was Mm -hmm. like a yearly thing oh wow or like Mm -hmm. a bi-yearly thing i mean seriously it was like every presidential election you know here comes (laughs) i mean (laughs) that's that's how it felt man it was so spread out like and i i and it was never on sunday morning it was always on like a sun yeah it was always on like a sunday night so that's Um, interesting that you mentioned that yeah the church i went to in college they would do theirs on a sunday night as well yeah now it was more frequent but it was on sunday 
Sunday nights. It was it was different. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious. I mean, before we kind of launch, yeah, really you know, it's interesting to hear like the backgrounds of where you guys are coming from. Um, you know, today, as we talk about the Lord's Supper, um, you know, we were using the quote by Ligon Duncan that really kind of helped frame this for us. Um, and he talks about in public worship, what, what do you see? And he says, it's a time of reading the Bible, preaching the Bible, praying the Bible, singing the Bible, and then seeing the Bible. And when he uses the word seeing, you know, he's talking about really the ordinances of the church, uh, seeing how the Bible is not just the framework for our life and giving a foundation for our life, but the Bible, it sets the direction of our practice. And so when we see the Lord's table, uh, what we're saying as we see both in baptism and in the Lord's Supper, uh, really the gospel uh, on display, you know, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and that is completely central uh, to our faith. And so let's just kind of begin here today by asking, uh, when did this ordinance in the church begin? So kind of the institution of it. Stephen, I mean, where where in Scripture do we see this uh, coming from? Well, as far as the Lord's Supper as we know it, uh, Jesus Christ instituted the Lord's Supper. Now, I think that you do need to do some background there, though, to make sure that people understand that when he institutes it, he's instituting it around a pre-existing supper that's already been there. Yeah. So let's talk about that then. Um, And so he instituted it around the Passover uh, supper and the Passover dinner, which would have its roots back to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt when the uh, death angel passed over and they would have that dinner right before they would put the blood on the posts of their door. Right. This is going back all the way over into Exodus. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I believe what is so cool is when, and I go to, you can go to Matthew, Mark, I mean, wherever I go to Matthew 26 a lot when I look at uh, how Jesus instituted it. But when he says, this is the new covenant in my blood, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm giving this to you as a new way. And it's interesting because he's like, he's building up on, I think it's not coincidence that it happens at the Passover dinner. Right, and I Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover dinner. I think it's dinner. very, very beautiful and a very, very uh, specific way of Jesus saying, "Okay, the old covenant is passing away. There is a new covenant, and right. it's based in my blood. And I'm mm-hmm. instituting this right. supper as a way of you remembering me. Do right. this in remembrance it of me until I come." It wasn't no, just it was completely intentional. Yeah. And Paul picks up on that in First Corinthians five when he talks about that even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Mm-hmm. You know, and so mm-hmm. you're picking up on the theme of the Passover, which was instituted thousands of years prior that every Jewish family did. I mean, it was a, it really was a picture of how does God save us? And God saves us by the substitution work of uh, the shedding of blood by a lamb. And, and, and you see, you know, even as Jesus uh, begins his public ministry, John the Baptist calls out and says, behold, the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And so Jesus begins his public ministry, um, identifying himself as that sacrificial lamb. And then in the fulfillment of that, Ultimately, with his death on the cross, you know, the Passover was a sign that was pointing to a greater reality of something to come. And it was pointing to Christ. And so uh, you're exactly right. Jesus, as he uh, institutes this, and you can go to a number of different places in the Gospels, um, 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul picks up on uh, the Lord's table. Uh, I think, were you just in Matthew? Was that where you were at? Yeah, I was in Matthew 26. Yeah, I think Matthew's a, a great passage. Matthew 26. You can go to Mark 14 as well. Yeah. And they do have some similarities, but I do like Matthew 26 whenever I'm reading through um, the account about how Jesus uh, instituted the Lord's Supper. <laughs> right, because he talks about there that this is uh, my blood of the New Testament or the New Covenant, mm-hmm. right? 
And uh, so really, we see Jesus is transforming mm-hmm. uh, the Passover meal really into uh, the first communion or the first uh, Lord's Supper and as what we would remember. So so when we think about then the Lord's table, um, there is there is deep meaning represented behind what is happening. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Morgan, I mean, if you and, and let's take some time here to kind of yeah. walk through, like, what do we see um, happening in the table? But. In 1 Corinthians 11, I think that's a, that's a great passage because Paul, he picks up on the Lord's table and he begins to describe really the importance of it and the meaning of it. But I mean, Morgan, what would you say is is represented in the meaning? What do you see, uh, you know, the Bible is emphasizing in those things? Yeah, well, I think back to our, our baptism. I just punched my mic. I think back <laughs> to our, um, our baptism episode where I... For me, what stuck out so, oh my goodness, what stuck out so much for that was our identifying with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And I think so much of the Lord's Supper is the same thing, that outward receiving the bread and the wine or juice if you're a Baptist. Um, That is... That is us, you know, identifying like this was Christ's body that was broken for us. And now, like, as we're receiving that, we are agreeing with that. We're identifying once again, like, we are part of this covenant now, this new and better covenant. And that is kind of like one of those seals, like we are his. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, Stephen, what would you add to that? Yeah. So, as far as like the meaning of uh, the Lord's Supper and like what it contains, I believe it is a time where we as saved, baptized believers carry on our ongoing profession of faith um, through this ordinance that Christ has given. This do in remembrance of me. So So it is a time of remembrance. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. a time of looking back uh, to what Christ uh, had accomplished. Yes, but in doing so, I believe this is an act of remembrance. If you read all the... all the passages that speak of this, this is an act of remembrance and one that is continuously setting myself apart as a saved child of God, right? Like we can only be baptized once. And in Mm -hmm. baptism, we are professing Christ, but in the Lord's Supper, we are professing Christ. We're professing what he has done for us by remembering. Mm -hmm. And um, it's more, just like baptism is more than a symbol, the Lord's Supper is more than just a time of remembering something. There right. is an active sense of the supper. And if you read in First Corinthians you're 11. You're an active participation. Exactly. And if you read First yeah. Corinthians 11, you see that because Paul's right. like, hey, you should never be doing this lightly. And in fact, if you are, you're going to see a lot of issues in your life. And oh, by mm-hmm. the way, that's why you are seeing issues in your life, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. And so there is a little bit more here to it. And that's not to take away from the act or time of remembrance, but it's saying in addition to that, the Lord's Supper is a really big deal in the life of a Christian. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that's exactly right. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 11, and I'll read a few verses here to kind of set the stage uh, for the listeners. Uh, for beginning in verse 23 of chapter 11, Paul says, I received from the Lord what I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup and after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant 
in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And, and already just hearing you all talk about that, I mean, I, I, I instantly I see a few key words just jumping off of the text. Two times there, Paul talks about do this in remembrance. As, as, as Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And so, yeah, it is a time of remembrance. It's a time of going back uh, to remember the perfect work of Christ, uh, his atoning death. But notice Jesus even two times in there says, do this. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a it's literally commanded. And so, you know, as we were talking about last week in baptism, in, in following through in baptism is a picture of our is is a living picture of our obedience. I think I think the Lord's table is also a, an act of obedience when Jesus says, mm-hmm. "Do this in remembrance." But what yeah. you're picking up, Stephen, is in verse 26. Yes, where where he says, "As often as you do this, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes." And and the Lord's table is a time of proclamation. It's mm-hmm. a um, you know I, I think that's so helpful to think about you know. You know, baptism being our public profession of faith in Christ, but the Lord's table being that ongoing confession. It's yeah. literally every time you observe the table, what you're saying is is you're not only affirming what God has done in your life, mm-hmm. uh, but you're also affirming what he is continuing to do by his grace. And so, I mean, it is this ongoing aspect of it. And then notice until he comes. So it's future focused. Too. It is. It is. It is a time of expectation. I mean, I think it's an aspect of looking to the future of what God will do. I mean, you know, even in the marriage supper of the lamb and, mm-hmm. and things in a new heaven and a new earth. And so it's, it's something that is, yes, we do now, but it is a f- something that we're still looking uh, to the future that um, that God has committed to our deliverance. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what a salvation is, and that's what our participation in the supper looks like. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's all of those things. And then even if we keep reading in verse 27 and 28 and verse uh, 30, you know, you see a couple other things coming out in verse 27 uh, and 28. You see um, a time of examination. Let a person examine himself. What, what does that mean when we observe the table and we observe or we examine ourselves. I believe he specifically, well, we would, let's read the verse in verse 28 says, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not, cons- not discerning the Lord's uh, body. And you see Paul all throughout the new Testament, I believe talking about how we as Christians ought to be examining our faith. Mm-hmm. Now, he actually makes a pretty big deal of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of this inspection of my faith of who it's resting in. And if you read early, earlier in this passage, Paul is confronting them and saying, hey, you all are making a mockery of the supper. Um, you're coming to have basically a feast and some people aren't getting the supper and huh. go eat supper at home. That's literally what he said. He's like, you can eat supper at home. This is not a time to fill your bellies. This is a time where you will eat. Well, you sure. will you will have that element, but this is not for that. And I believe he's speaking to them to examine themselves to see, first of all, they're standing before God. Yeah, exactly. Where's your faith at? Right. I believe that that's the main push here is he's he's saying before God is and your others. faith in God. And then also, are you are you correct standing with others? Yes. Yeah. But I believe the big push here is is your faith in correct standing with God and then also in addition to that, that's good. How's your standing with others? Yeah, and I, I think um, you know throughout uh, the New Testament, you see where Paul is talking about you know like in Ephesians where he says, "Walk worthy in the manner mm-hmm. of the calling to which you were called." And then in First Peter, Peter is talking about you know living your lives in reverent fear. Um, you know, 
living that life that is in line with what Christ has commanded us to do. So what I was always uh, taught growing up is that this time of examination was to, you know, confess any unconfessed sin, you know, to the Lord to kind of um, make make sure you're in that right standing with him, you know, having that faith, you have to be, um, your relationship with him has to be clean and clear and you don't want anything hidden as you're taking the supper because it's, I mean, it's, yeah, but could you not argue that that then can become a time of this, like almost like you're doing yoga and like you're just sitting there before the supper and you're like, uh, you know, could, couldn't you argue that? Explain that, that a little bit. Like, so, <laughs> I don't think I'm trying like, to so, Well, actually, it's it's funny because that's kind of what it always was for me yeah. as a kid because that's how it was explained. It's like you got to take uh, this time of silence to like make sure that there's nothing hidden in you. I think my question specifically is yeah, so, like, what is unworthily pointing towards? Is that pointing towards Ooh, my standing before God? Or is that pointing towards, oh, man, I got to get the magnifying glass out here in the scapel and peel back every layer of my heart and make sure there's no hidden sins. Mm -hmm. I think we also have to remember who he's writing to. Mm -hmm. He's writing to the Corinthians who had open, um, abhorrent sin in their congregation. Mm -hmm. And so, I I, I mean, you might disagree with me here, and that's fine if you do. But I I believe when he's talking about unworthily here, I believe he's talking about a standing before God. So believers of Jesus Christ need to be the ones who's eating supper. But I also believe he's kind of in a sense, kind of like giving them a little correction here and saying, you all have open abhorrent sin in your congregation yeah, and you all are doing nothing about it. And I don't know necessarily if he's targeting like, Hey, the situation in first Corinthians, there was a hidden sin, you know, like when David in Mm -hmm. the Psalm says, forgive me of my, um, secret faults, right? Like the sins that might be hidden away that I don't even know that I did. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's necessarily a time of, um, the old term navel gazing, like the yoga where I'm just going to stare off and I'm just going to be like, I've never heard that. Like, right. And, um, it's this idea of like, I'm going to go sit on a mountaintop, like a monk and just stare off and have self introspection and find out all these things. I think this is a time to take care of your standing before God and abhorrent sin in your life and to say, am I in right standing with God and with others? I think there's a clear distinction. And I, when I think about Paul's talking about an unworthy manner, I think he's talking about an unrepentant heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And so mm-hmm. it is, it is, it is, I, I would, I would kind of line with Stephen. No, I don't know if I agree with all those things, but uh, I, I would say, you know, it is a unrepentant heart. It's, it's a, mm-hmm. it's, 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 you're coming into this time of observing the table and you are not coming with an unrepentant heart. You're not coming with a spirit of bitterness. You're not coming with a spirit of unforgiveness. Um, and and you're not doing it ritualistically or indifferently. Yeah. It's like I'm coming into this moment right here um, fully understanding what this signifies and uh, what this means for me. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it, it would be it would be, you know, because Paul says in verse 31, but if we judge ourselves truly we would not be judged. And I think what he's talking about in the supper is, look, this is a serious time of warning. Like it mm-hmm. is a, it is a time of, of, of challenging our, um, commitment to Christ and our profession in Christ. But it is, it is also a time of looking to the future and saying, Hey, hold on a second. One day I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the, the supper helps prepare me for that moment, you know? Yeah. And so, um, well, and I think, and I think yeah. really what this examination, uh, to put it in really, really layman's terms, like for me, it's a spiritual attitude adjustment. That's good. You know, yeah. like it, it is, it's, it's bringing your, 
posture down to one of humility where um, when the Lord does reveal things that and things that you've really been willingly been doing that are, you know, counter to the things that he's called us to like that abhorrent sin or very obvious sin that you've not let go of yet or if you have bitterness against someone else um and then also yeah just that the the heart of reverence the heart of repentance and when you have that attitude adjustment and he can set your perspective right again you'd never just want to rush into it like ah you know this is that thing we do every so often you know because it's so much more than that exactly so let me kind of segue a moment here and let's look at what jesus said in matthew 26 he says um two times he says this is my body And then he says, this is my blood. So the question I want to ask is how literally do we take Jesus's words here? The question of the ages. (laughs) Yeah, no. So let's, you know, let's kind of talk about that. There really are kind of four big uh, views held within um, uh, evangelical Christianity. I mean, I don't even know if I'd say evangelical broader than that. Uh, Christendom. Christendom. I mean, I, I, yeah. The, the, the Christian teaching and doctrine from God's word, whether it is, wrong or <laughs> right throughout the ages throughout i think it's what we're There's going about through four main uh views yeah, held can you lay on out those, those four because i think for those of us who are very uh we come from one particular background we only think that there is one way to view it okay, so yeah. some of us so, might not even so, know that there's other ways to look at okay, it yeah so the four that are most commonly held would be first uh, transubstantiation which is often Such a big word. It is a big <laughs> word, but it just literally means, you know, trans to change, right? Yeah. So the, this is this is a position first that would be held by the Catholic Church. Uh, many would refer yes. to this as how the Catholic Church teaches this. And what they mean by that is the elements when Jesus says, "This is my body and this is my blood." Those elements that are hold in our and that we hold in our hand literally change and literally become the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see that um, in mass and in, 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 in Catholic mass. And so, um, you know, what is happening in that where, where sometimes people will often say, hey, wait a minute. And then the Catholic Church, they're re-crucifying the Lord. But what, what, why do they say that? Well, because what they're saying is that those elements um, are, are literally being changed. And, um, and so that would be one view that would be yeah. held. And, and that, so, that view's big too. Um, if you want to go back and do some research, early church history, early church big, history, yeah. and then follow it down also to like um, even the teaching of how Augustine and the Catholic Church would present the Lord's Supper as being a means of grace. I mean, if it's a means of grace, it needs to be something special, and so transubstantiation mm-hmm. it transforms into. Um, you, you get where I'm no, going no, no, with yeah. that. The Catholic Church yeah. would be- believe that the sacraments are a way and a means of grace. And mm-hmm. so this means of grace then is coming from the literal body Literally and blood of Christ. Christ. Now, yeah. I don't agree with it, but that's where they sure. would come from for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so even in the early church, you know, the word got out, Hey, they're all cannibals, you know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> yeah, uh, well, wait, don't go there, you know? So, right. so, so there is one view that is primarily held by the Catholic church and that would be uh, transubstantiation. But then there's another view, which is consubstantiation, which is uh, the position that is held by many Lutherans Thanks, and Anglicans. Luther. <laughs> uh, yeah, Luther. So, so, but the, the wording that they would use is not that the elements literally change, but that the, but that Christ is with the elements. And so it's kind of this, yeah. ang- they use this language of real presence, which is mm. that the wine and the bread Yes, they are literally the body and blood of Christ, but Jesus is there present in and with and under those things. He's not literally those things, Mm -hmm. but Jesus is literally there and he's there with those things. And so there's kind of this, I mean, I don't know how to describe it other than just like this really mysterious like presence that Jesus is in or under 
or with those elements, but well, he is would, not literally those elements. Yeah, well, how would that, you know, don't we have the presence of Christ with the Holy Spirit at well, all times? I mean, it's kind of like they wanted to back off of transubstantiation, but they didn't just want to back off the whole way. And so they were like, yeah. maybe okay. let's go middle ground okay. here. Right. Just when I look at it, that's what it feels like because they're like, well, they still kind of coexist together, but it's the presence, but it's kind of literal, but it's not really literal. And it's, it's kind of like this like middle ground where we're still appealing to how we were maybe raised in, in the Catholic, in the Catholic church, church, but, not, but we're okay. not okay. practicing that way. The third position would be what many would refer to like a memorial or memorial feast. And this was heavily attributed to Zwingli, uh, one of the reformers. And, and the emphasis in that is that this is a time of remembrance, right? It, it is, it is purely a time of looking back. And I would think, I don't know, Morgan, like your background, but I would say that that probably is the position that was held in the church. Yeah. I was going to say as you, you were talking, up, that, church you grew up in. Yeah. That's what sounds most familiar yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, then the fourth position, which really isn't too different from the memorial position, but which would be kind of the reformed position that many would look to John Calvin, um, seeing that, yes, this is both a time of remembrance, but there is a spiritual presence of Christ there. Um, and, and I think where they go for that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 16, where Paul talks about the cup of blessing that we bless. Is this not a participation in the blood of Christ and and the bread that we break. Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And so, um, you know, out of those four things uh, where, where the memorial position would simply be saying, Hey, we're going to do this in remembrance. We're doing this in remembrance. And we're just simply looking back. I think the reform position would say, yes, this is a time of remembrance, but there is something um, that is taking place in this time where we are participating in, uh, with the Lord. There's this deep fellowship with the Lord because that word participation, uh, if you know, you know, the word uh, koinonia in Greek is mm -hmm. this like deep fellowship, right? So it's not something that was created. It's not that we like create fellowship, but, but what Paul's arguing here is look, as, as Christians, we have been brought into Christ. We've been brought into his family and now we have this deep participation with one another. And so as we come into a time of corporate confession and we are uh, confessing that we are followers of Christ and we are expressing our openness and commitment to Christ. I mean, there is a fellowship in that time with Christ and, of course, with his body. But the, but there's this spiritual presence of Christ there. So so when you hear those four positions, I mean, where, where would you guys land regarding those four things? I think now, as I've gotten older, and I think even being in a couple of different churches and then, you know, going to Liberty and hearing all these different teachings, I think that last position you talked about is is what I've grown to understand to be at least the the thing that I want to um, incorporate in my like participation in the Lord's Supper because when it it was so purely memorial sometimes as I was a kid and maybe that's just because I was a kid and I didn't understand all of it but there is you can't it, I think I missed out on so much when it was just like a memorial practice because there in a very real sense like we are still participating in this like with Christ and it's that future looking that I didn't have as a, a kid or mm. growing up when it was we like purely looking back looking but not backward, looking because in there's so much the we still have to look forward to yeah, you know right. not that looking back and looking at the cross and Christ's sacrifice is not important because it obviously is very relevant certainly but we have to take that gaze and kind of push it forward and and into this present moment and into the future for when he is coming back because okay. he's coming back and it's very exciting certainly 
certainly, Stephen. Where would yeah. you land? Is there an option 3.5? Uh, <laughs> no, no, I don't know. Come on, create, create. just bring us in. Bring us into yeah, how you understand so, that. How so do you understand? I kind I, I, the one thing that is, I would want to be careful of is that I attribute a presence of Christ in the elements that I'm like that I take away from the presence of the Holy Spirit and how God is always present with me, even when I'm not taking it. So it's like, well, I got to go take the Lord's Supper to get his presence, you know, and I, I would want to be careful of going too far with that and ending up there. But I do believe that there is a real and uh, it, it, it's almost like baptism, how we said that there is something special that mm-hmm. happens when we are baptized because we are obeying Christ and we are confessing him publicly. I believe that there is a similar specialness there to the Lord's Supper. And while, while yes, the Lord is with us always, there is a specialness of how we are communing with the Lord in that time. It's a time of remembrance. And yes, it is a memorial, but there is also active obedience and there is ongoing confession. Okay. And so I believe that as an ordinance, this is a, a um, sacred time and it should be a special time. And, it, and there is something about how, yes, the Lord is... Um, spiritually present, but he's always present. But yes, this is a time where we commune with him in deep fellowship. And yeah. so that's why I kind of said option 3.5. So which, which one, like, one would you hold to? I then? would lean more towards like number four, but with some okay. caveats of saying I'm not, so what, I don't what believe about, that. What about that position four would you? It The fact that it is more than a memorial. Yes, it is remembrance, but it is a time where we are communing with the Lord. And that's one thing that- and you would mo- agree with that. That's one thing that the memorial does not do. Sure, However, sure. I would also argue that like, yes, the Lord is present, but that the presence of Jesus is, I mean, that's a relative thing. Whenever you're saying like the presence of Jesus is on the table. Okay. Well, the presence of God is with us as believers through the Holy spirit. Do you get my point? Like I would be afraid to just say like, Oh, well, there's this special spiritual presence that there's is extra on presence that, that only comes that with only comes communion. through this. Yeah. That would make me a little nervous to say that I wholeheartedly agree with four. No, yeah, I, but okay. I think that there's like a middle ground where I would fall. That's saying yes, there is a specialness to it, but like just by taking this, you aren't going to receive some special spiritual like grace and energy boost that's just going to make your life like mm. so much better, you know? Because I think we can view it kind of like Augustine and view sin as a disease and. You got to keep taking your medicine and you got to just keep taking your medicine. And I would want to push back against that. So that's why I'm kind of like being a little nebulous and I'm kind of, I don't really want to, Steven just doesn't want to commit to a position. (laughs) You know, I think for me, I, I, I look, I would probably lean to four. I think, uh, I, I would agree that the elements are not literally the body and blood of Christ. I think when Jesus, you look at the gospels, he held it in his hand. You know, and Jesus was right there physically (laughs) present, you know, so he's pointing to this emblem of a greater reality. It's Mm -hmm. something that is not him, but it is something he is holding in his hand. So I would say, you know, the elements are not literally the body and blood of Christ, but Jesus is present there. And I think, I don't think it's in a mysterious way, but I think he's present with us through the Holy Spirit, in Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit. And so when we gather around the table, which is a, a symbol, a picture of participation in his life and in his family... I think there is a true presence there in that moment. And uh, and I think there is something supernatural, both in baptism and in the table, that is uh, that signifies it to be an ordinance of the church. I mean, there is mm-hmm. something that that time is doing in the life of a believer 
uh, that is, it is, I mean, it's, it's not passive. I think that's what we're saying. It's, it is definitely not a passive time. It is a very active time, a very active time of, of confession and belief, but it's a, it's an active participation in the body uh, with God's people. And so, you know, we could just ask a question here. I mean, what about the frequency of it? I mean, um, what is, how, where do you land on that? Because I think here's the thing, regarding what what position there you would hold to, you would fall to a different aspect of how frequent it ought to be uh, fulfilled. So, for instance, like if you are in the first or second camp, uh, it is really important that you take communion every week. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is vitally important that you take communion every week. I mean, going back to what you're saying, Stephen, Mm -hmm. so but in number three and four, not as much. But what does the Bible, I mean, delineate for us as the frequency that we observe the table? So could we ask the question, is frequency tied to how you're taking it? Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. Because yeah, take us that way. like, so like, for instance, my only point is like certain churches would believe that it needs to be administered by the pastor elder that is of the church, by the church officers <laughs> there, or it is presented by the pastor elder, or um, it is served by presented by the pastor elder and served by the deacons. Um, some churches would hold to that as well. Um, now, if you get into like the whole deal of like, Hey, if I just have a uh, Ritz cracker here and um, a thing of grape juice, I can take communion. Right. And I think the frequency changes depending on which area of one of those three you land in. Right. Cause if communion's just a Ritz cracker and grape juice, well, I can take communion every day at home. Right. Or is there not something more special that, the Lord's Supper communion is something that is done together as a body. And so it is done together as a body. And if it is served by the deacons and presented by the pastor elders, then this must happen in a church service. Well, before right? you get too or much no. into the mode. <laughs> yes or no, because the frequency is tied to the mode. Yeah. Because if I if I if it is that, then okay, I so can let's only jump take. to the mode. Then. Wait, but let's, I didn't get to okay, answer the question. Okay, you had more. I, I don't want to. I don't want to pass you up on this question. That's <laughs> no, okay. So frequency. But I I mean I think from coming from a background where we we did it so infrequently or so irregularly, I I would I would lean toward even though I don't agree with transubstantiation or consubstantiation, I I would prefer to do it more frequently with the understanding of truly what it is instead of because with the infrequency came came this kind of misunderstanding of it just being like a tradition and just a memorial practice mm-hmm. i think if it was done more often and more intentionally then i i think it would have been more beneficial spiritually for me you know growing up and in this upbringing but you Why know do you feel that way I well mean. i i think because you know as you're as you're teaching people and as you're you know growing these disciples i think it's important and like as often as you do it um you you do it in remembrance of me so i think it's a lot harder to remember if you don't do it very often you know yeah yeah okay yeah i i i'd see that i i don't think it definitely is held as common i mean uh you know the table is something that um is is an important aspect of our worship. I mean, mm-hmm. if we think about, you know, uh, corporate worship, I mean, this is an aspect of corporate worship. Um, if you look uh, the, in the early the church, they did it every week. Okay. Yeah. In most no, cases, sure not in all cases, sure. but in mo- the sure. majority of cases, if you look in church history, it was a weekly now, The thing. Bible, I'll just say the Bible, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, as often as you 
Um, let me go back in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till you come. So mm-hmm. the Bible's not prescribing a week or biweekly or annual thing, but it says as often as you do this, right? So yeah. as frequently as you do this. And so going to your question then, Stephen, take us down that path a yeah, minute. But then. before so, we do that, we, okay. could, we could tie this <laughs> okay. up by yeah. just saying Let's this. If you can't remember the last time that you had the Lord's Supper at your church, your church should probably be having it more often. That's probably a okay? good thing. If sure. we just put it that way. And yeah. it's not setting and stating there it has to be every week, but it, like if it's not done often enough to remember it, that's probably a bad sign. It should be frequent in the life of a church. <laughs> it should be frequent. It yeah. should be a main part. But so, yeah, we do get to this point then of like, so is frequency not maybe tied to that? Because the reason I bring that up is because of Corona. Uh, cause of COVID-19, right? Not Corona. Corona is the generic name. We all call it Corona, but it's actually COVID-19. <laughs> it's we're all but, sick of it now. <laughs> uh, anyway. No one wants to say that's COVID That's something anymore. that brought it up there, yeah. right? Is that, that like, did. how that, do I that, take the Lord's exactly. Supper? That, and then mm. it can't be infrequent or frequent enough or like, you know what I'm saying? So like, what? So walk us through the, set the stage of how that brought that up. So, so with, with the virus, you know, uh, many churches, some churches are not meeting in person. Mm-hmm. Many are. Uh, many are some are meeting in a limited way or uh in you know setting their gatherings up in smaller settings especially for very large churches mm-hmm. um you know with restrictions in place they're having to adjust mm-hmm. to those things and with that has come the question right how is the church in this unique time in this unique setting going to continue in this command of observing uh, the lord's table yeah do you, do you want to take that yeah, or you want I me mean, to roll with well, it? <laughs> I think you'll roll longer, so I'll just okay, answer first. <laughs> um, but for me, just purely, I, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a deacon, obviously. So when I heard about people, like their church, like putting their little communion pieces in their mailbox, and then that Sunday when they all, you know, would come together virtually, they would take communion. And to me, I thought that was kind of brilliant. I mean, you can't gather together physically, yet... If, if you're doing this with the proper intention and united in Christ, like I really have no beef with doing communion virtually, but that also could be part ignorance on my part, just not understanding like how the mode is prescribed and how it should only be done a certain way. But um, because I, I think it's it was one very effective way where churches maintained mun- unity through this really difficult time for churches when we couldn't gather together in person. Um, so I I really had, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it, but. Interesting. Yeah. So it, Which I, I think is, there's yeah, a lot of, there's a lot of different positions. And on also it is interesting to look back in church history. Um, depending on like some of the stories that you read, depending on how you interpret one of Justin Martyr's, um, his first apology, part of his writing, um, he talks about how each Sunday they would gather together and then they would go through their service. Uh, the, um, the Bible, the apostles letters would be read the prophets, right? And then they would pray. And then he talks about how there was a time where bread and wine and water are brought. And now we would ask, is this the Lord's supper? Or is this where they're dealing out different portions? However, um, if it is the Lord's supper, the deacons then take the portion to those who are unable to come. And so you do see an element here of where things that are shared in the service are taken to um, those who are unable, physically unable to get out. So you do see at least a precedent of things that are involved in a church service being taken to those not able to be there. So going back to the question, is it uh, a positive today? Here's where kind of I would 
ask the question is, are you taking it together? I think that, because that's my biggest thing is the well, Lord's then Supper. The question you got to ask is then what do you mean by together? I the, think the Lord's Supper is to be observed by the local church together. You mean like at the same time? Because like, if you look literally? in church, if you look in the Bible, if you look in church history, it was something observed together when the church would gather together. Um, I mean, read, uh, I just referenced it, Justin Mm -hmm. Martyr. He says, when we gather together, here's how we will take it, right? Those who have been saved. um, He literally just like throws it out there. Those who are uh, a saved, baptized person, right? Uh, They are the ones who shall take it. And it's when we gather together. And so you see the Lord's Supper, even when Jesus institutes it as being an ongoing confession together in a community sense, a community of faith. And you see that in first Corinthians, it was yeah. something that the church gathered together to do. Now, can I just pause you for a second? Cause you did say something. You said for those who have been saved and baptized, yes. uh, could we, I don't mean to like totally sidetrack us. We'll come back, but yeah. I think you bringing that up is a good question. Uh, who, who should take it, right? Who, who takes the table, the supper? So I believe it's a saved baptized person. Now I know many people who would disagree with me on that. Hey, great for you. But I believe when you look at the Bible and church history, you see baptism being the one thing that follows the most closely to salvation. Mm -hmm. Also, um, when Jesus, um, he, when he goes and partakes in baptism himself, that happens before the Lord's supper. You also see baptism as the confirming act of faith, like the one big step of obedience. Mm -hmm. And so I would argue that baptism precedes the Lord's supper because that is the first step of obedience. And then you continue in your ongoing confession of faith. If baptism is our public profession of faith in Christ, then that would precede uh, an ongoing aspect of it. And the question would be asked, okay, if you're going to be, if it's someone who's been born again and walking in obedience with Christ, why have you not been baptized if you're walking Mm -hmm. in obedience with Christ? I think it's just that logical, you know, argument as it falls. And I would also argue that based on, because of the position that I believe the communion is given to as an institution or an ordinance to the local church that it's also saved and baptized believers because the local church is the one that is responsible for administering communion. And so thus communion and the Lord's supper, especially if you look in church history was one of the primary ways that church discipline was exercised. The Lord's table was withheld, right? And so how can you withhold it if it's just like, Hey, Anybody can come it's and free take game. right yeah, now. It's anybody, free game. Everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason why I did. At first, when I went out to that church in college that I referenced earlier, right. I kind of pushed back to that and it really made me uncomfortable. But the more that I watched it, the more I respected it because I said, you know what? They at least are able to exercise church discipline because if somebody, if somebody is living in abhorrent sin, they can go to them and say, we are withholding the Lord's table from you instead of it them slipping through the cracks somehow because mm-hmm. it's free game, you know? Right. Yeah. I think what I see in scripture is when, when Paul is talking about it in first Corinthians 11, there's a number of things that he brings up. You know, he talks about an unworthy manner. He talks about as you do this, you know, there's, there's this aspect of it. I, I think where I, I where I would land on that is I come to understand that would be the question is, is this an ordinance of the church uh, or is this just something that is commanded of believers? And 
Um, I, like you, Stephen, would agree this is an ordinance of the church. This is something that has been instituted uh, to the church, to followers of Christ uh, to do. And Paul, you know, I think 1 Corinthians 11 is a very, 1 Corinthians is an important book of this because Paul is addressing a local church. He is not addressing just random people who say they're in Christ. No, he's addressing a church uh, that is to follow this ordinance in a very prescribed and orderly way. And there were things that were happening in the church that should have been dealt with that were not being dealt with. And so, and once again, like, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think, I think COVID has brought a, a question to the surface and I think how many people want to easily address it is to say, okay, well, we'll just do it virtually or we'll just do it, um, you know, in any means possible, people can gather however they want. My personal understanding as I look at scripture would be, uh, I, I think, I think the Lord's table is operating in an ordinance of the church. And so it is the local church that is administering that. Now, how the church chooses to do that virtually, um, that would be a question, you know, for the local church and the local congregation. Yeah. I just, you know, I, I came across a couple of churches that have done this recently, you know, and, and you watch the pastor on the video and he's walking through, but, but even in that, it was like, it, there was a very lack of accountability of just how how this is going to happen. It was like, okay, well, if you have the elements, you know, you, you were able to acquire those. Uh, if, if you, you know, if you have Sprite and a, in a, in a Oreo, you know, yeah. those probably aren't the best thing, but I'm like, well, why are you even saying that? Because by saying that you're saying that there is something uh, in this time that is sacred, that is special, that is unique for that time, for that place, for those people. And I think there, the thing about it is it should make us long to be together. I, you know, I think the, the thing about Corona that we have to be so careful of is what is happening for the church temporarily does not become the norm. Mm -hmm. And I think there are so many Christians or churches that are willing just to say, okay, well, how can we overcome this hurdle that is really temporarily temporary, but we're trying to overcome it in a more permanent way. And what ends up happening is you're removing all of the emphasis of what it means to be together. I mean, part you, Morgan asked me before the episode began, why do I talk about the table and not the supper? I think because the table is symbolic of people coming together. Mm-hmm. You know, people can eat a supper anywhere. They can eat together anywhere. But when you come around the Lord's table, it's his table. It's not my table. You know, one day we're going to gather in the kingdom of God around his supper, his table. And so I think part of the body of Christ and belonging to the body of Christ says we belong to Christ and by nature to one another. And so when we gather as the church in obedience to Christ, we're coming to gather to worship him. But we're, we are now involved in this participation of, of observing this table corporately uh, together. And I think there's just a symbol of unity. There's a symbol of belonging that happens physically that you cannot achieve virtually. I, 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 that's how I would land on it. I, I, I think there's an aspect of that where you're coming together under the, uh, uh, in uniting with a local body, under the leadership of a local church, uh, in accordance with the word of God. And there is this, just this commonality that happens yeah. there. So, so I think in this midst of like, okay, there's some things that are not being able to happen right now that normally would happen. It should make us long for that. Like it should make us long to, to, yeah. to see, uh, things change in a way to where that can be made possible again. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just where I come from. And I, I, lo- I love what you said about it being descriptive and not prescriptive yeah. because like during this time, could a church of maybe like a couple hundred, maybe if they landed at a position where they were like, we're going to do this virtually, but we're going to do it well. Could they maybe do it well? 
Well, that I mean, maybe, I but that's their decision. See, but no, could you yeah. do it with a church of 20,000? Probably not. <laughs> I think what you're going to see after we come out of Corona is that churches have adjusted the way they do things because they were not rooted in a foundation of why they did it. So they modified a bunch of things and now they come out of it. And there is now this incredible lack mm-hmm. of, of gathering as the church, being with the church. I mean, I think we're already beginning to see that. We are. I think you're already beginning to see that, that, that people think that a virtual service watching online is no different than being there in person. And I think what we've done is we're, if, if the church is not careful, we will begin to offer a substitute of something that is not completely commanded in the way that it ought to be. I mean, that Christ commands us to gather and, and to be a part and to belong in this unity. I think if we begin to offer an aspect of that uh, permanently, uh, that is not temporarily, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see, I think you'll see a loss in the church. I think, mm-hmm. I think there'll be an aspect of the church uh, and what it means to participate collectively and corporately, I think that you'll see that to begin to diminish. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. I would, com- I, just, I would completely agree with I don't, you. I don't want to put a wet blanket on this. I just, I, I just, I feel real passionate about that. Yeah. And I think too, at, at what, sometimes when we try and modify things, it can take away from the specialness of it. And that would be the one thing that I would push back against some of the virtual um, ways of uh, communion and whatnot is, if, if you are going to do that, I would heavily encourage whoever's <laughs> the church who's doing that, make sure that you keep the specialness and the importance and the reverence there. And that's very right, hard to do virtually. Thing, you know, and I, my biggest fear would be that if you were to do something like that, that you're going to. There's just a lack of accountability. It's what we were talking about last week. It's just a lack of accountability. I personally would not be comfortable with it. Because here's the thing. For some of those, and depending on what tradition you're in, um, you know, we didn't even bring this up on the podcast, but closed communion, open communion, Mm -hmm. close communion, where you land on that understanding will determine how your church operates in in administering the ordinances. And by those, you mean like open anyone, any, any, any any person saved, unsaved. Some people (laughs) say it's open in the sense of all born again, believers, uh, open in the sense of all born again, baptized believers, uh, closed in the sense that, Hey, this is given to the local church, and so this is something that we're administering as a local church to our membership. And then close um, is in the middle yeah, there. Close would be a little different of that, meaning that they um, that you are a, a kind of a, a born again uh, baptized member of a local church, but it's not the church maybe where you're yeah. attending that Sunday, mm-hmm. but it's a like minded church. And so, yeah. listen, how you come to that understanding, really, it's not a question of how we're observing the table. Really, it's another discussion of what is the accountability to a local mm-hmm. church and as leadership to the flock and vice versa. So, so that's, that's the question. I mean, we don't really have run out of time to have this yeah. today. So maybe we'll hit, hit this again later. Well, and just my final thoughts on the whole virtual communion. Uh, tidbit is like as Stephen was saying if you don't have you know the accountability or the reverence is not there or you're just kind of throwing it together I think it really reveals your understanding of what communion is like if you're willing to just do it however just to do it then there's obviously a a misconception of okay but why why even have it if you're just going to throw some things together and and do it all individually at different times and there's something to be said and 
you know. But even in what you're referencing, and I don't know what church that was, but they sent it to their membership, and they probably designated a Sunday where they're watching a video exactly. and yeah. observing this That's together. Totally different. Totally than different just than just saying, week, like, oh, it's different than just saying, hey, we're having a virtual service today, and grab we're gonna, the Ritz and the grape juice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, listen, I don't, I don't think we want to make a mockery of the no, Lord's no, table. No. I mean, no. I don't think we're, and we're not trying to do that by saying that. I'm just saying, no. The the, the fact is, is like, hold on a second. This is special. Yeah. This is this very is special. very special and the Lord's table should be treated in such a way. Agreed. Hey guys, we just want to let you know we kind of ran out of time on this episode. It's so much to talk about that uh, what we've done is we have continued the conversation, but we've placed it on our website at wherewelandorg So if you want to continue with some extra content uh, from our discussion today, be sure to go to the website and listen to the complete uh, recording. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Listen, if there's anything you've heard us talk about on the show today that you'd like to know more about, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, so send us your thoughts, questions, and feedback by sending us an email at podcast at whereweland.org. Uh, on our next episode, we'll be considering the leadership of a local church. So we hope you join us here next time.